Welcome to The Microscopists, a bite-sized bio podcast, hosted by Peter O'Toole, sponsored by Zeiss Microscopy. Today on The Microscopists... Today on The Microscopists, Paul Vecardo from University of Bristol talks about what inspired him right back at the start to develop correlated imaging methodologies. That certain structures, like tubular endosomes, they fall apart upon chemical fixation. So that, that's where I came up with the idea that we need something that we can do live imaging because those tubules are not there all the time and we need to be able to freeze that. He talks about co-establishing the Wolfson Bioimaging Facility. Together with Mark Jepson, we set up the Wolfson Bioimaging Facility, probably one of the very first really integrated light and electron microscopy facilities and spills the beans on his favourite Christmas movie. Oh, uh, what's his name? Hugh Grant and... Um, Love Actually. Love Actually. Uh, I, I, I still cry with that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I still cry with it, but I still watch it every year. All in this episode of The Microscopists. Hi, I'm Peter O'Toole from University of York, and today on The Microscopist, I'm joined by, joined by Paul Ricardo from University of Bristol. Paul, how are you today? Um, not too bad, thank you. Yeah, it's been an... I've, I've done an experiment today. That's been a long time. Uh, in the lab or just in the, at home? In the, in the lab. Yeah, I've been in the lab today. Okay, so <laughs> now I'm utterly intrigued to know exactly what you were doing in the lab. What do you think? We were trying to do correlative microscopy. <laughs> yep, yeah, yeah, but you said you were doing the experiment. Surely you weren't just on the microscope. Um, um, every now and then I do go to the microscope. Well, this was the preparation. Tomorrow we'll go actually to the microscope. So, so proper science, proper in proper the science. Yeah, doesn't happen too often anymore, unfortunately. You uh, you sent me one picture. Well, you sent me a few pictures, but the one picture. Now you said you've been in the lab. This is so. This is you. In the early days, in the uh, early, yeah, definitely. Early days, I'm looking at the picture of you, and you look a lot, lot younger. <laughs> I was a lot younger. That must <laughs> be uh, at least 15 years ago. I'd probably just moved to Bristol, so that was 2006. <clears throat> um, uh, with uh, with your Leica uh, fast freeze, rapid freeze. What was it called? Um, MPAC 2 plus RTS, the rapid transfer system. And I guess the rapid transfer system was the special thing about it. Yeah. My, my, my claim to fame is where you could wheel this, this machine right next to any light microscope, confocal, uh, do live imaging, take your sample, put it into that high pressure freeze and it's frozen. And then we can process that. So really doing that correlative workflow on live imaging so so critically this is so you're actually looking at what's going on inside a live cell and within a second it's frozen yes the machine takes about two and a half seconds we have about one second so let's three three and a half seconds is what we we said would be the time resolution which was still pretty good because we couldn't do that before so so, so critically, if things are moving in the cell and you want to correlate it in the electron microscope, that enables you to use that live cell, light microscope, freeze it really, really fast, such that things haven't really moved much. 
so you can yep. capture exactly what the ultra structure of yep. where that is is going but there's a how did you <laughs> conceptually it sounds dead easy for a yep. microscope thinking of taking something from one microscope and getting onto another mic actually this is not so simple so how did you think of it how well it, it started off around 2000 because there were two seminal papers uh by Roman Polishuk, uh, uh, Alberto Luini, and Sasha Miranov. Those were using, at that point, they were using GFP, but they were using special imaging dishes. Um, and the imaging dish always has a glass bottom, but this, this glass bottom had a finer pattern engraved in it. So that allows you to see the, 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 the pattern in the light microscope, but because it stands out a little bit, it's also imprinted into your EPOM block. And that, that's basically where it started off. I always had the idea that that was done with chemical fixation, that certain structures like tubular endosomes, they fall apart upon chemical fixation. So that, that's where I came up with the idea that we need something that we can do live imaging because those tubules are not there all the time. And we need to be able to freeze that. And that's where, at a certain point, um, I had a discussion with uh, the head of, of the facilities. At that time, that was in, in Dresden at the Max Planck Institute for Molecular Cell Biology with, with someone called Ivan Baines. And we decided we'll, we'll call Leica and ask them if they're interested in that idea. And that's where we called up uh, someone called Ian Lamswood. Um, very good friend now, and he he had almost ha hung up uh, until he all of a sudden I don't know he saw the light of oh maybe this is a is a, is a nice idea and that's where we started such a developing that that machine together and that that was really yeah one of the most exciting things um, yeah that I've done I think I think it's amazing the company was so willing to work in partnership and to to develop it through because it doesn't often happen not at that early concept stage not 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 at at the concept stage even not just no. early concept, at the concept. Okay. yeah no exactly that's where it would have been cool to have such a basically get the the picture that I gave them was a picture of a light microscope a black box and uh, a high pressure freezer that was the whole concept at that point. Uh, and, and that's from, where we developed it from. That's difficult, but you're not an engineer in background. Yeah. <laughs> so, Paul, what, what was your first degree in? Sorry. Oh, um, I actually am a qualified teacher. So that's why I had one of the other um, pictures in there is in, in so I'm, I'm Dutch, as you probably know. Uh, there, the, the, the education system is a bit different. So if you, if you want to become a teacher, um, you first, that is a separate degree. That's not a university degree. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I was 17, I hadn't got a clue what I was wanted to do. But I did like biology and I did like chemistry at, at school. And so that's where I decided, okay, I'll, I'll go and do a, a teacher's degree in chemistry and biology. And I really enjoyed that, not not from the start, because um, at the very first, it was probably one of the very first uh, days in in that uh, setting 
where we had to give a presentation. Um, and my presentation at that point didn't make much of an impact because my feedback was, oh, did you present as well? We didn't notice. <laughs> so I was, I was done so fast <laughs> that nobody was, had the time to make uh, any, any, any notes. So that's where it then went on. And then, then you go into schools to, to practice. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I was 17, 18 at that time. I was cycling into school. And then some of my students came in by car who were also 18. They were just as old as I was, and I had to teach them. That's why I realized maybe uh, at the moment I'm, I'm too young to do that. And maybe this is not my, my so to say, career. And that's why I decided, okay, you could then transition from the teacher's education into university. And that's why I decided, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll start doing uh, biology. So that's my, in, in Utrecht, that's why I studied. I, 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 I've got to say, this, this picture, I presume, is not you as a teacher. That is not me as a teacher. So there's, there's, a, there's a few things I can talk about. This is Chris Neal. And Chris Looking Neal... like a lecturer, as you'd expect a lecturer, with a wooden cane and a mortar hat and black gown. and Yeah. So this is, yeah, like I said, this is Chris Neal. He's one of the technical experts in our Wolfson Bioimaging facility. But... He also plays in a Pink Floyd tribute band. And he dresses up, he's a background singer, but he always dresses up as um, characters from certain songs. And I'm, I'm, I assume you know now which song this is. Oh, this yes. Song. Yeah, it's already going through my head. Yes. So that, that's where I, I, I really love that, um, yeah. So that's kind of, it's a nice cyclic loop, isn't it? The teaching is all the way there and we'll come to courses later on. But you said you didn't know what you wanted to do when you were 17. So I, you know, I've never asked you this of all the times you've been, when you were a child, what is the first job that you can remember thinking I'd like to be a... I have a very bad memory. <laughs> um... Ooh. I really can't remember. No. So you, you can't remember any of the jobs you wanted to be when you were a child? No, no. You never it's wanted all... to be a football player? Uh, yeah, but that, that's... I was thinking more something more realistic. That That's where um, I'm going to deviate a bit from your question, because I, I think... So um, my, um, my dad was... A, he was a carpenter, he's, he's long retired, and I was the first one to go to university of the whole family, and my grandparents were really against it, because that's, they, they thought that's, that's not what our people do, they don't go to university, and that's why I'm, I'm really grateful and thankful for my, my parents, they defended that and said, no, he, he decides his own future. And and that's that's what I've done ever since. I it's where, yeah. Sometimes opportunities just appear, and and that's probably what what happened throughout. Yeah, my, my life is is chance uh, opportunities. So your dad was a carpenter, did you say? Yeah, yep. yeah. So so was mine. 
Yeah, that's so that's yeah, where yeah. <laughs> you could do almost everything in a building trade. Oh, no, oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> how's your uh, how's your carpentry skills? Um, okay, we've we've just changed last weekend. We oh no, the weekend before we changed all the door handles <laughs> in in our house. So. And no swearing or cursing when you were doing it. Um, no, the... <laughs> can't be repeated here. <laughs> yeah, see, my carpentry yeah. skills. I think I'd, I'd disappoint my dad hugely. Uh, yeah. yeah, he's exceptionally good, and I'm exceptionally poor at anything DIY. Yeah, yeah. No, I try to be, but it's it's. I will never match those skills. That that was yeah. I comfort myself that at least I can use a microscope and I don't think my dad can, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we have things. So from your degree, uh, can you remember what the first microscope was that you used, light or electron? Um, uh, electron, yeah. Because already during my undergraduates, I did, um, I did two projects. One was uh, molecular genetics and was one was electron microscopy. So it was at the time when molecular genetics was really hot and um, where basically I was escort, escorted by one of the, the postdocs to get one microliter of restriction enzyme, which was locked away. Um, and I... I didn't like it that much. And then I did the electron microscopy project. And that, that really was where, yeah, this is what I find exciting. This is what floats my boat. And that, that's what it's been ever since. Yeah. Remember what the microscope was? Uh, that was at that time a Philips. Uh, I don't know the model. Yeah. Oh, can't remember the model. Wow. Yeah. I know yeah. that the second one I used it was a 420. Um, so, and after that came the CM100, CM200. But that's where the, the, the 420 was special. So that's when I was doing my PhD um, with uh, a, a, someone called uh, Ari Verklei, who was, was quite a famous name in the Netherlands. Um, and that Philips 420 was really a special microscope. Only certain people were allowed on there. And after two years, I was all allowed on there as well. So I was really proud of myself that, that yeah, I made that progression. So from that, so, so that, that's where you found your passion. You're now, a, you, you went to Bristol and you have an academic career. You're, an, you're a professor now at Bristol, but you also set up and were heavily involved in the core facility side as well at the time when you set it up. Yep. Uh, which side did you prefer, the academic or the facilities side? Um, the, uh, the experimental side of the facility. Okay. The, the running, okay. running a facility itself is, um, is not, not what is really exciting. But working with other people, developing new protocols, doing doing, yeah, f fun stuff, or at least for me, fun stuff is is that that is what excites me. So 
It could be on on uh, plants, tissue, cell cultures, but it, it's it's the it's the technical question or the technical solution for a biological question that I like working on. That is really what excited me. So, Paul, excuse my ignorance, Paul. I should know better, but you know, I, I see you as a you collaborate with so many people. Yeah. So, <laughs> you're sort of probably more academic now than facility in your yeah. your job description, your um, course. But is your lab actually still run with the ethos of helping developing pipelines, methodologies, bringing technology, but sucking in other people's biological questions and working with those? Is that how you've developed the academic lab, or is it you have your own singular biological question and to yeah. you know you're not interested <laughs> in that, but the collaborations? No, that that is again where it it is actually hard to 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 work like that. But I don't I don't have my pet protein. I don't have my pet pathway. I'm I'm an I'm a microscopist. I want to apply my microscopy still skills to a wide variety of projects, and especially of course in in the correlative microscopy field. So that that is is hard because there's there's not always funding for those kinds of uh of positions yeah so you've got one I've, I've got one but again i'm i'm not part of the facility anymore so when i got my uh promotion to professor i was told i was too expensive to be <laughs> heading a facility and th that that still hurts me um uh but that's that's where Nowadays, you can have a uh, a pathway that is more or less technical, whereas at, at, that that's now seven eight years ago. That's where you have to go to if you if you went that way. You had to go into an ac academic route. So that that's where I was basically steered. I was always on a uh, really um, technical path. And then I was diverted to a more academic role. I, I know you said that still hurts, but it's well from from the outside, it looks like you've kind of got the best of both worlds. So you don't have to worry about the instrumentation, <laughs> and you can concentrate, as you just said, being in the lab, working on new scientific problems, uh, not having your own pet protein or biological question to solve, but being a an applied microscopist uh, in a academic world I, kind of kind of sounds pretty cool uh, yeah in that sense i'm probably <laughs> I'm, I'm quite okay <laughs> i'm privileged i, I think that there's a, i bet there's a lot of core cool stuff that are thinking oh my god that's actually what i'd like to do not to worry about the finances the services, yeah. but you've got to worry about the grant funding yeah um, i i would i would argue compared to many of your peers, because you are working with so many collaborators, your funding is coming in from all sorts of different avenues that if you were an individual, could be, you're probably more resilient and more spread. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But you are also dependent on other people, which is, is not the fun part. Yeah, okay. That's, uh, that's where and and i have very good collaborators that they will always 
support that, but to say, making it clear also for new collaborations that I can't do all the experiments they want to do. I need people in my lab to do those those experiments so that if you apply for a grant, there needs to be stuff, personnel, but also um, consumables and things like that on that grant to support that. Yeah, and and yeah, as a collaborator, generally the academic, the, the lead PI is less likely to put specific, I think it's getting a lot better. You know, when you collaborate, is, yeah. collaborators are actually braver, more confident in putting on those extra costs for their collaborators to actually get the science done. And the grant panels are pretty wise that it does take that resource and it is team science, isn't it? Yes. No, that, that's what I thrive on is working with, with other people, having those also inter, especially interdisciplinary is, is quite cool. Working with physicists, with chemists and things like that. And that is... Thinking of your team, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah. another picture for those who are listening. Who's the picture of Paul? So on the right, uh, that is Lorna Hodgson. Um, and in the middle is Judith. Judith has been with me since I moved to Bristol. And Lorna has been a postdoc in the in the group for at least seven years. She's now moved into the facility. So that's where Again, as as with grant funding, you can't guarantee that she'll be uh, funded for the next couple of years. So that's where she took the decision. I will go into the facility, which which is very useful for the facility. And this this was again this was to celebrate um, one of the successes we had as a group where we worked with um, a guy called uh, Jeremy Carlton Jazz, and by chance he was giving another seminar here today. And this this was where we really, this is one of the nicest correlated microscopy projects we've done, was published in Nature. So it really had an impact. And, and that was such a such a cool collaboration. Yeah, I'm I'm still really, really proud of that one. Yeah, I, I just like the picture. It showed the group and the team yeah. efforts that behind. And as you said, you know, we as a team uh, achieved a lot of those successes together along with the collaborators as well. Yeah. Uh, what's been the hardest time in your career to date? Not saying you're going to get harder problems going through. <laughs> <laughs> I don't wish that on you. Well, what's the difficult time you've had to deal with? Um, I, well, that was that time when I got professorship, <laughs> um, which in itself was great, but that's where basically I was told you're not going to leave the EM facility anymore. Um, and that really hurt me um, because we, we had just had a review of the facilities and it, the last sentence in that report was actually, we should continue with having two facility heads, uh, one for LM and one for EM. And then the next time I had a discussion with the Dean and he told me, we think it's, it's good if you would step down as facility head and and that really hurt me and and basically where ah my baby was taken away from me um because i i together with mark jepson we set up the wolfson bioimaging facility probably one of the very first really integrated light and electron microscopy facilities that was there which i de i developed over the year that's that's why at that point the the facility was well known for as well 
is the correlated microscopy. And that's where I, they, they asked me to step down or told me to step down. No, I, so, so from the outside world, Paul, uh, I would say it was never seen that it was taken off you, just that you had matured into a new position yeah. and come in to look after I've, you, baby, and let you carry on flourishing on the academic side of it. So yeah, yeah. From the outside, it was, it was seen as a very positive uh, and successful step. Yeah, no, exactly. But it, it's also, um, I'm, I'm used to the British system now, keeping up appearances. <laughs> Do you see any differently now? Do you see it that actually? Oh yeah, yeah, no, no. That's that's where it takes time to realize that actually, oh, a, a lot of the worrying things, like like recharging and the constant pressure from um, faculty management to to make the facility uh, break even and things like that. I don't have to worry about that anymore, and that's 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 great. So would you? Would you say it's been a good move for you now? Did they um, help? Did they do a good thing for you? Ah, oh, come on, yeah, pro probably. <laughs> it's, 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 well, it's still hard. It's it's where there are times where I think no, I, I want to be involved in that. Yeah, I, I it's, see it's, the influence, and do you know what? Yeah. Actually, it must be really hard. For the, the person who stepped in, so Mark, in this case, it stepped yeah. in, to have you in the wings still. <laughs> that that, that yeah. must be, actually, I'd love yeah. to know what Mark's take is on this, because it's like, oh, my goodness, but everything I do, I'm going to be judged by Paul, you know? And if I do something yeah. that Paul doesn't like, it's going to look really bad. And my You know, because he inherited some of your team, I presume, as well. Yep. But gosh, actually, I, I'd say he's probably got the worst. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I, I do realise that, and, and I... I don't envy him because since uh, since that time that the, the financial pressure uh, has has only grown so <clears> that, that's uh, i i don't envy him at all but so that was a difficult time in your career yeah. what about uh flip on the flip side in all your career when when was the best years what was the best time i i think the 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 moves I've made. Um, so I, after I did, I, I, I did my PhD, I went to EMBL in Heidelberg. Uh, I was postdoc there for five years. And then at, uh, at some time, uh, my supervisor, Kai Simmons, uh, he asked me, um, I'm gonna set up a new Max Planck Institute. Um, would you like to help set up the new EM facility? And I'm like, yeah, that's 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 a unique opportunity to really establish a, an EM facility completely from the start. And and that's when uh, also just designing labs, having having the ideas of yeah, this is this is how I think it it should, what it should look like. That those are really exciting times. And and yeah. So that was one baby. Yeah. And you left that baby to do the baby but so what so what's your next baby going to be oh yeah that, that's what <laughs> i well ideally we, we we would like to um because the technology is is becoming more and more complex and um 
you really have to use uh, the right microscope for certain biological questions, but you don't have always have that microscope. So yes. that, that's where I think we should go to a system where there is kind of a, a national facility for correlative multimodal imaging. That that is what would be uh, what we should be working towards, and and what that's going to look like. There's been discussions going on that that's all, yeah, ongoing. I, I would counter that. I, I would not look to set up such a singular resource. I I would, I think that sort of problem exists across the board in many other technology platforms and to actually have a, a, a complete facility that is actually it's almost like a sabbatical facility where people just come because that's where all the high-end new equipment novel equipment is and some of the more turnkey stuff but we support yeah. access because not every university but and next your microscopes are a million pounds plus your multi-bean sem is you know, I've chopped onions and not wept as much as a price of some of these microscopes can be. Yep. You no, know, and I actually think, but the same for mass spectrometry. You know, genomics. No, exactly. So that... To have all these put in with the experts and scientists coming, meeting each other, and then going back. For me, yep. I, so yep. it's even bigger vision. So it, yes, it, it, it is bigger. That's why I, I didn't call it a correlative light electromicroscopy national facility. It's a correlative multimodal. It is bringing more technologies together where ideally you would want to go to a system where you have a molecule and you can place it in a cell, in a tissue, in an organism. I, 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 I love the idea. It's an idea that I've talked to multiple people about in the past. Yeah. It's a difficult world in any country because the way that the academic world works to make a a, a neutral site yeah. that everyone yeah. and wanting and not to be hierarchical or territorial about it. But you know, we'll talk after because I have ideas on that as well. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk afterwards a bit about it. I, I did wonder, besides that, whether your baby would be actually not the microscopes anymore, but the community. And how you're yeah. putting the communities together. That that's always been uh one of my big drivers, I guess, is where it, you can do things on your own, but if you discuss it and bring people together, you can get much more done. And we don't need to reinvent the wheel. No, so that's, that's, yeah, that's what I've been yeah, very interested and very active in in a lot of the community efforts like bioimaging uk but together with pippa horse we set up emuk really but and which was really designed for um people doing electromicroscopy but interested in microscopy but also the in industrial people bring those together and and not have them separated yeah. um, and so that, that yeah that's that's where we're now we we we've been very lucky so there was this Chen Zuckerberg initiative for community building um 
and and actually for the two communities I'm involved with, correlated microscopy, volume electron microscopy, both of those uh, initiatives were funded. So we've just recruited a community officer for the volume electron microscopy community that is really now helping us because so far that was all done on a vol voluntary basis, as you know. That is, and and that's where I, I'd like to spend time on that, but I don't have always have time to spend on it. And you sent me this picture. Oh yeah, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. I, I go, go. So who gone? You go. Who's through this picture? Starting yeah. on. Um, on the left. Left, left is Lucy Collinson. Uh, in the middle is Kedar Narajan. And then we have Yannick Schwab. And at the end is me, as you can see. Um, so one of the things that was always, I don't know, somehow on my bucket list is I want to organize a Gordon Research Conference. That's that's one of the best conference I'd always been to. And, and that's something uh, I would like to do. So with the four of us, we applied to organize uh, a Gordon conference on volume electron microscopy. And, and with Lucy, we, we've been doing a lot of stuff already on volume electron microscopy in the UK. So that's where we made the decision, okay, Lucy and I are gonna organize that first Gordon conference, uh, which happened in July this year in Ventura in, in, in the US. And, and that, that was such an amazing meet, uh, meeting where you have all the experts there. You, it's, it's in a somewhat secluded uh, setting, so you can't escape each other uh, as such. Um, and then Yannick and, and Kedar were already nominated to be the next captains, in this case, of, of the next. They've got captain's caps on in the pictures. Yes, that's what we got them um, at the end. So they will, they will take over. It's cool, because I think actually, everyone's been on a different series of the microscopists different seasons so for every season i think i've got one of you yeah here. no these these are yeah these are my heroes as well so it's um i was, was very happy to 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 do that the thing, thinking of your heroes uh have there been any standout inspirational people in your career um yes that was my professor when i did my phd is is Ari Verklai, um, where at that time, I don't know if, if you had the same, when when I was doing my PhD, I took electron microscopy pictures. I never was really completely happy with them. And then he really convinced me that this, no, this, this is world-class work. This is really very, very good. Um, and he, 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 he really motivated me and he's been, the biggest inspiration I think for during my um, during my career, um, where I've had a, a a lot of supervisors, and you always learn from people. You learn the good things, but also the bad things. This is this is not how I want to be. This is this is what I do like about certain certain styles. Yeah. And how familiar is he with your career now? He's unfortunately passed away already 10 years ago from cancer. And that's happened to quite a few of my supervisors, unfortunately. Yeah. Don't work with electron microscopy reagents. There's a lesson here. Um, yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should check myself. Um, 
it's <laughs> where no some of them uh, uh were not elected microscopists as well yeah. they were just scientists <laughs> yeah and age catches up with everyone at yeah. some point yeah. uh but but he must have been aware of your career yeah 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 no, definitely and uh, but also the the um so i had two uh what they call promoters so that that's uh two professors that supervised me during the, the uh my my project uh the other one is is still very much alive and he really follows what i've been doing so he he organized um a gathering of his former phd students when he i don't know he had about 100 PhD students, uh, that's why he, he said, okay, I need to get a party together. And he, re he really knew what I was doing at that time. So he, he had followed up. Yeah. I was really happy about that. So to move away from a slightly sad note, yeah. <laughs> some quick fire questions. Let's change our brain sets through it. Are you yeah. an early bird or a night owl? Can be both. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I used to be a Nagal, um, ages catching up. And so that's where I, it's also annoying because in the weekend, I can't lie in anymore until 10, 11. I wake up at eight, nine and, and just have to get out. It, Why would you want to be in bed at 10 or 11? It, it, I, from my memory, it was lovely to lie in bed until... <laughs> That's why I'm very envious of, of, of my boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, except for when being a teenager, I think yeah. after the early twenties, <laughs> that that no, there's too much you can do in a day. Yes, <laughs> it is. There is, yes. <laughs> a, a work day and a weekend as well. So yeah. are you a PC or Mac person? PC or Mac? Uh, Mac. Mac? McDonald's yeah. or Burger King? Uh BK. <laughs> okay. What's your go-to at Burger King? Um, oh, I, I love the, the chili bites, chili cheese bites. Okay. <laughs> so not a specific burger, but I always have the chili cheese bites. Yeah. If we go there. Yeah. Uh, Germany or UK? <laughs> Difficult one. Um, they both have their, um, their ups and downs. I, at the moment, I would say UK, uh, because every time we go back to either Germany or the Netherlands, uh, it's they're much harsher. That in that in that sense, the UK really is a friendly country. Um, in what way? Um, if you bump into someone, and it's my fault, that other person will say, "I'm sorry" as well. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's it's those little things where um they if you go into a shop they nicely ask you can i help you and if you say i'm just browsing they they will leave you alone um whereas in in those countries that's very generalization of course but it is it is different so i was also going to ask uk or netherlands but i think you probably just oh yeah no no the netherlands is probably even worse i've, I've always Felt I I wanted to go back, um, but every time we we are then visiting family, it's it's we're, we're shocked. <laughs> I, I've got friends in the Netherlands, so I visit the Netherlands. Uh, yeah, the, not infrequently, and yes, I, the language is very direct. 
Yes. Very direct. So there's no there's no wrapper around. There's no P's and Q's. But I've always found it really friendly. Uh, uh, yes. Um, and I don't know if, if that is the case, but of course uh, I speak Dutch. Um, I was about to say, I'm not listening to the language. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading body language. I'm not hearing what that yeah, is. Yeah. Yeah, You're right. Besides being able to count and say a few words, my Dutch is not existing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very good point. <laughs> Uh, tea or coffee? Uh, coffee. Yeah. Short or long? Uh, large. And I've, I've only recently switched to oat milk rather than normal milk. <laughs> okay. Uh, wine or beer? I'm not a real beer person. Can I choose cider? Oh, you can choose cider. <laughs> Actually, we're wicked. We're, 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 <laughs> I, I missed a meeting. So this, this is going to be very this moment in time for anyone listening to the podcast. But I missed a meeting last week because I was over in Portugal talking. And we're on a multi-bid collaboration at the moment. Yes. And that has just been named Cider. Was that your name? Uh, yes, it was. <laughs> I had a meeting this week with my internal collaborator, Joanna. I said, oh, it's Cider because... Yeah, one of the committee thought they really liked side. I thought, I bet I know who that is. That's got to <laughs> come from Bristol. And so yep. now you've just confirmed that <laughs> I love it. So, okay, sorry. Yeah, um, no, exactly. That, but that's that's where you have to come up with these these acronyms, especially for EU projects, that the acronyms are, are sometimes even more important than, <laughs> than the, the content. Um... <laughs> Wait. <laughs> But it does sell a vision, and, and yeah, yeah. it does sell the not the word, but when you know the acronym, it, it does sell the vision quite yeah. nicely. Chocolate or cheese? Chocolate. Milk or dark? Milk. Cadbury's or other? Sorry. Cadbury's or other? No other. Cadbury's is way too sweet. Okay, so what's your go-to milk chocolate? Um, <laughs> you can basically the, the 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 standard little one, but of course the the Tony Chocoloni is very popular at the moment. Yeah. Um, and what you probably don't know, and I don't have it here, Ficada's chocolate—that's the best one. Okay, so okay, we will be seeing each other at some point soon. You bring that, and I'll bring. Well, I can't bring cabbies. Don't be wrong. Uh, I'll no, find something. Yeah, no, that that's where Fakada is actually a very famous chocolate and cookie brand in the Netherlands. So that's um, yeah, I I like that. You obviously have a slight bias towards it as well, of course. Yeah, probably. So what's your favourite food? If you were to be taken out somewhere, wine dined, what would be the favourite? meal on a menu that you could pick from a favorite dish would be scallops okay um i do like fish um but i do like steak as well it's i'm i'm not particular yeah fish steak okay that, those kind anything, of... anything you don't like what would be your worst dish your food nightmare
<clears throat> Cadbury's chocolate besides. Yeah, it's um something that's that's very bitter. I'm I'm not a I don't like bitter that much. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, I, I I would go with that. I, I yeah, I that's quite a good answer actually. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm chicory, for instance, is is not my particular favorite. So if you're at home, do you cook? Yeah. Do you enjoy cooking? It depends what time I get home. Uh, but definitely in the weekend, um, I try to cook, yeah. And especially also since lockdown, I've, I've started cooking much more. I like the way you say you try to cook. Does that mean you're a dreadful? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or you just like to cook? No, no, no. I'm, I've, I've improved substantially. And I think that, um, I get compliments so it must be must be okay and uh i was gonna say so you, you so you do cook occasionally what's your favorite film i do like uh the, the star wars um the yeah okay. those kinds of lord of the rings so there is me going to ask next Star Wars or Star Trek, and you've already answered it by saying Star Wars. Yeah. Okay. And what about your favourite Christmas film? Oh, uh, what's his name? Hugh Grant and um, Love Actually. Love, Love Actually. Ah. I, I I still cry with that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think I still cry with it, but I still watch it every year. <laughs> yep. Sure. And is this is this your this is ah. I've got to get out of the way of this picture. This is your yep. family, I presume. Yep. That is on the left is Chris. Uh, so he's studying mechanical engineering in Manchester. And uh, next to him is Wouter. He uh, is still doing his A-levels. And on the right is Joka. That's my wife. And... How old are they, sorry? Sorry? How old are your two boys? Chris uh, is 21 and Wouter is turning 18 in three weeks' time. It's, it's, yeah, it's really strange, but it's um, yeah. So this this was uh, at a Muse concert earlier this year, uh, and that's why I used to go to concerts a lot because I love music. And over the years that that we I started doing that less and less, and then at some point I mentioned uh, that I would love to see Muse. I haven't seen Muse yet, and I completely forgot about that. And then Wouter had remembered, and he told Joka, we, we need to get tickets for Muse uh, and go and see them. So I, I really loved that, that he remembered that that, that is the thing I, I wanted to do. Yeah. That's super cool. I've got to be careful. If I put my head here, it looks like I've got a new family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and final quickfire question. Actually, what, what music genre are you into? Um rock progressive rock so muse um rush used to be my favorite band um that kind of i've seen iron maiden metallica things like that as well but i've also seen faithless which i really enjoy so i have a broad range of music uh, it, depends, it, it can depends on the mood as well 
I like it as you go to Iron Maiden, you get progressively heavier and heavier. So you're into <laughs> heavy metal with your music as well as in your staining of your samples. Yeah, no, exactly. Heavy metal used to be really the thing I was completely into. Um, yeah. And uh, what's your favorite color? Green. Even though everything you look at is black and white, you like yeah. green. Yeah, let's go for G. <laughs> no, not that bright green, but... So we've, we've talked about some of the favorite times. You've talked about some of the difficult times as well and, and the challenges. What do you do outside of work to, to chill out and relax? Um, have you got any hobbies? What are your hobbies? I, I don't have any particular hobbies. Yeah, listening to music is, is something I still enjoy. And then what we what I we do a lot in the weekend is is we go to our allotment. So I I've, I used to hate the allotment. <laughs> I never liked it. But then again, during lockdown, that's where we changed our plot as well. Uh, and that's where I started to appreciate. And so a lot of the food we eat is is now our own homegrown food. As I, yeah, I, 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 my aunt used to have an allotment. I used to do bits on it and it was fun. But it's, oh, no, I can't commit time to that. I'd struggle. Yeah, it, it's how, often, how often do you go to your allotment? Um, well, it, during the, the summer, we used to go every weekend or maybe both Saturday and Sunday. Wow. Because there, there's, there is usually a lot to do. <laughs> Lots of weeding as well, which is the annoying part. But yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, it sounds excellent. I wonder how many others have got allotments. It's a question I've never asked. I'm going to have to work oh, on it. That's, um, we, we had uh, EMUK earlier this year. Um, and, and all of a sudden, uh, we were talking about bushes that were growing alongside allotments. Had nothing to do with EM, but we the, the, the discussion was diverted from that because apparently a lot of people had allotments and they all had their story to share. <laughs> EM UK, you need that as maybe one of the survey questions. Do you have an allotment or not? Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the there. Of course, it's not just relaxing out of work. You can relax at work to a degree as well. And you set, you set this wonderful picture, which... Yeah. Uh, where where was this? This is a lovely sunset. This is a sunset. Um, this is in Perth in Australia. So I've, I think that's where we as scientists are quite lucky uh, as well uh, that we we get to travel and to see quite a quite a lot of places. So this is where this is in Australia uh, earlier this year uh, where. Yeah, you get invited to certain meetings. This was the Australian microscopy meeting. I did a, a review for microscopy Australia as well. Um, and, and it's just wonderful. I, but I usually spend too little time uh, sort of outside of, of what we're supposed to do um, there. But this, this was one of the nice occasions, yeah. And so the other side, the bit we haven't really talked about, uh, we've talked about communities, we talked about your science, your the facilities, going to the academic career. <clears throat> but you, you started very early on talking about how you want to be a teacher. And you are still arguably a teacher. And you yeah. do a lot of courses. Uh, yes. So, so uh, obviously based around your speciality, so CLEM courses. 
such as this. So how many, oh, I bet you'll never be able to give an answer. How many courses do you think you've taught on? Uh, must be, must be 40, I don't know. No. Yeah, a lot though. A lot, yes. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at this classroom size, you sent a picture and there must be probably 40, probably in the classroom as well. Yeah, yeah. So this, this was just before lockdown. This is the very last thing I did before lockdown. This is in, in Portugal with Erin Trenfield. And this, this was, again, it's a Clem school. Um, and really, Erin um, uses this term MacGyver. So not everybody has all the sophisticated uh, tools you can do correlated microscopy with. But basically what we taught in that course is even with the basic tools, you can do very nice and very good uh, correlative microscopy. I mentioned that that collaboration with Jess Carlton, um, which, which got a nature paper with, where we celebrated. Um, that was done with these special imaging dishes, just a convocal imaging dish, just an electron microscope. That was the whole idea of, of getting that message across that you, you don't need to do it always that, that hard and, and with all the, the biggest tools you have. Yeah, I think, so to Erin uses MacGyver, I think I'd go uh, Heath Robinson as, as another <laughs> example of, we've, we've used sticky tape, blue exactly. tack, yeah. you know, all sorts of uh, improvisations to, yeah. to get but things that, and, and that's where these in-person in courses are so valuable because that's where you can show all those minute details, all the little tips and tricks, which are much harder to show when, when you're doing that, such as via Zoom or, or things like that. And uh, actually, I'd say arguably you're helping to encourage people to think about tips and tricks because when, when I, I guess we're fairly similar age-wise, I'm, I'm guessing. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, you know, when I we know were, how old you are. I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a 50, Paul. Okay, then you can add nine to mine. <laughs> You're 59. I am 59. This is a complete digression to where I was going. Oh my <laughs> God, you've done 59. <laughs> Thank you. And that's not just your camera, because I know you in person. Oh my yeah. God. Well, see, you can't leave me speechless. <laughs> no. <laughs> You're the first guest to leave me speechless. You, Rotter. Ah, oh, yeah. so you will remember the days. Back on track. Uh, yeah. I can't believe that. <laughs> back, back, <laughs> back on track with this. I, I think we were at a generation of going through, and I think all the generations before us, where things didn't necessarily, well, let's take this off, necessarily work uh, perfectly. And we were used to technology being difficult to operate, C computers crashing regularly when you're taking your images, crashing your time-lapse, crashing, you know, having to improvise around it. But credit to the manufacturers and all the companies out there, they've made things a lot more turnkey so the biologist can get on with the biology. Yeah. And, but now we're noticing when something goes wrong, there's not as much uh, 
determination to solve the problem, but just find another solution or another question that they can answer easily rather than to persevere, troubleshoot and get there in a meaningful way. That There seems to be a, a trend at the moment towards ease of use rather than yeah. actually I'm not going to get to answer my question unless I, like you did, with your impact, yeah, and, you know, creating something to solve the problem. I think there's fewer of that nature. It's not, again, stereotyping to a degree. So I think your tips and tricks encourages that mentality to, to, to solve the problem, create a pragmatic solution. Yeah, no, it's, I, exactly. And that, that's where, yeah, it's always... The, the biological question that should drive the technology so that you need to use the right technology to answer a question. So don't, don't use, I don't know, let's say cryo EM because you need to num count the number of mitochondria in a cell that those two don't match up, but it, it's sometimes where there are these, these buzz words, technologies that People have heard about, seen in a, in, a, in a conference, and they have to use it. So I think that's good advice. And actually, of course, you did send me one other picture. And yes. I, <laughs> I realised that that was me at the front with you on a course. In, in, was this in Bristol? This was in Bristol. So that that's on one of the EMBO courses on correlated microscopy. Hmm. I don't know the exact date, but we were both a bit younger there as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Proportionally, I was a lot younger though. I've just yes, found that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have one other, actually, I have two other questions. So we've got to be careful because it's really close to time. <clears throat> we've talked about all the developments. And one question I haven't asked you know, you, you developed the Clem pipeline. How difficult was it? How difficult is it still getting some of your peers around you, researchers with biological questions? to embrace that technology and realize it can help them solve a question? Um, yeah, it is still an issue that they will, um, you, you first need to show a very good example, a proof of concept study that really has made that impact. So that that's where, for instance, again, that study with Jess Carlton, that really changed a lot of, about how people perceive uh, that that Clem workflow. Um, that is, yeah, I think that that's still hard sometimes. Yeah, and, and I guess as a technologist, and I'll come on calling you a technologist now, because I think yep. I'll, I'll you are a technologist. How difficult, I, I, you must have come to terms with it now and understand it, but how difficult did you find it coming to terms that people weren't wanting to jump on this and try it because oh my goodness, he's going to let them do stuff they couldn't do before. But they were just like, no, not interested. Yeah. Oh, I, there, uh, there are enough other people that are interested and um, that, that do, I don't know, see <laughs> the, the, the advantage of, of using certain technologies that I, 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 I'm not too bothered about so if if someone thinks oh no that's nothing for me or that's not doing it for me I... is is that a matured thought was that was was it like that 15 20 years ago oh probably i was a bit more angry young man 
It's um. Well, no, not that young. Yeah, no, I'm. I'm no, I, I was probably uh, not trying to. I don't know. Sell the technology as much as as I'm 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 doing now. Um, and, and and now I'm I'm much more an advocate of of the technologies. Uh, I was probably more focusing on on my own such a technology development and that that's probably yeah one of the things you do have to think about okay it's nice to do all the technology development well what are you going to do with it you you do need to have that biological question in the background the final two really quick questions because we are on the hour do you have any regrets scientifically um Oh, I could have taken other career options, and I, but do I regret that? No. Which is cool, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and and uh, I'm I'm happy with the way things went. Yeah. And, and just look at your friends, work friends. You know yeah. how supported they are. You know that picture that you sent for you. You know, they're not just work colleagues. You know. No, they're they're, yeah. they're my friends. Uh, that's, yeah. Yeah, I think that's again. Science is a very lucky community in that respect. Yeah, that you make friends even outside your own workplace. That is, in fact, sometimes closer friends outside your workplace than you do in the workplace. Yeah, which is uh, well, yeah probably a good thing. It means you live in together and work and not outside of work to the same degree. Yeah. And if you could, so I didn't ask you this question earlier. I'd like to ask it if you could do any job for a day or a week, just to sample what it'd be like to have that type of career or in that type of environment, what would it be? <laughs> dive instructor. A? <laughs> dive instructor. A dive instructor. That, that's, you know, I think we might have had ships, we've had astronauts, but a diving instructor, that that's pretty cool. Because Yeah, no, I used to, when, when we, was at EML, uh, we had a diving club and we went a lot of diving. And, and there was within the B sector, the British Sub Aqua Club Association, there it was really easy to become an instructor. So I've, I've, I'm, I was a trainer, I've um, dived, dove uh, for many, many years. And, and I would love to go back and do that. But also, if you look at those, uh, Dudes that are the dive instructors, they're they're the cool guys, <laughs> which I never got to be. <laughs> no, and, and do you do you dive at all now? No, no. I would love to do that again, but yeah, uh, yeah. That, that, it's always like, yeah. What's what's holding you back? I don't know. There, there's there's always other things to do as well. I will say, Paul's boys. You got a Muse concert? Now you know what to do for next <laughs> Christmas. I'll definitely show them this movie. <laughs> oh my God, you're going to be 60. Shh. Oh, God. <laughs> he said you're going to be 59. Oh, you can have a diving party. Yeah. Birthday. That's only next year. <laughs> That's fine. You've got time to arrange it. Yep. <laughs> cool. We are, we are gone the hour. So, uh, Everyone who's listened today, thank you for listening. Uh, please don't forget to subscribe to the channels. And you know, you saw pictures earlier of Yannick, Kedar, Lucy, 
all have been guests. Go back, listen to them. They all talk about Paul Dew and their talks as well. And obviously the Volume EM community that was with uh, Lucy and with Kirk. Uh, so again, another very useful one to listen to and many others aside. But Paul, thank you so much for joining me today. You've been a blast. Uh, and I've learned that you're 59. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It, it was it was great fun. I I, I really was thinking, what are we going to talk about during this? Um, and yeah, we've covered a lot. Yeah. So, Paul, everyone who's listened, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Microscopists, a bite-sized bio podcast sponsored by Zeiss Microscopy. To view all audio and video recordings from this series please visit bitesizebio.com forward slash the dash microscopists.